Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman, on C-Suite Radio. You know, being a teacher or being a leader is, at its best, often unpredictable. Knowing how to motivate each student or person on a team can be so frustrating and challenging. Now, I certainly understand the challenges of being a teacher and trying to help each child understand their own brilliance, as I was a teacher right after I graduated college. I did my best to uncover their potential. And with many, I was successful. And with others, they didn't see it when they didn't feel it in themselves. Now, as a leader, you must acquire the knowledge of what truly inspires others so that they can and will perform at a high level and be excited to do that. So here are some ideas that can help leaders support each other to reach their potential that they knew they had and to keep going. The first is have some of those one-on-one conversations. You need to create an environment that encourages business relationships to grow. This is where you can set goals and expectations while also learning what makes people tick. What are their goals in their position and what challenges do they have or do they need to come over with? What suggestions do they have and how creative can they be? You will be surprised what comes out of these conversations. The second is, you have to find out what motivates them. This has always been a sticking point for me. I made it a point to find out what motivated my team. So many people have asked or been asked, I make sure that my people always knew that they would be understood by me and they always knew they had a place to challenge. Now, if you don't know what motivates your people, ask. How do you know what journey they want to take if you don't know? What are they passionate about? Motivation is not always about money, and many times it's not even in the top five. 
But once you know what motivates your team, you have something to work with to develop their future goals. And you can course correct if they're hitting a speed bump. The third is provide the resources they need to do their work exceptionally well. This can be eye-opening because most times, no one thinks to ask what they need to do their job even better. It may be as simple as access to a website or an app, or maybe they need a different place to work or flexible hours. When you ask and you listen, they know you're interested in their growth. The fourth is praise and compliment them often. While not everyone likes to be the center of attention, everyone likes to be recognized for a job well done. In a study about engagement, it's been found that employees and team members who receive recognition on a regular basis increase their individual productivity, they're more loyal, and they're more likely to stay with their organizations. It starts with those one-on-one conversations. And the fifth is believe in them. Many times we underestimate the potential of our team members. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we trust them to do what they were hired to do? Then we need to let them do it. Give them room to perform, to make decisions, and to follow through. And don't forget, we also need to support them to make their experience even more exceptional and remarkable. If it doesn't go exactly as planned, ask them what they've learned. Now, if you want to get the best from others, you have to ensure that they reach their full potential or at least have the ability to do so. This may involve the investment of time, effort, and money, but the results make it all worthwhile. Now, here's something we need to understand. Being a leader isn't all about you. It's important to instill leadership skills in others for the good of their careers. When they're equipped with these skills, they'll be able to make informed decisions, guide their peers, and be better qualified for opportunities that come their way. As Jack Welch said, before you're a leader, success is all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is all about growing others. We're going to take a short break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. And when we come back, you will hear from my extra special guest, who will share her thoughts about empowering others. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we'll be right back. What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now walking on the glass floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities for Women Who Lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women, whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite. Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. Written in her trademark no-nonsense glass half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life. Uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real-life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach, and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com. Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Okay, time for my very special guest, Carla D. Bass. She's a colonel of the U.S. Air Force, retired. She is the author of the multiple award-winning book, Right to Influence. Throughout her career, she composed letters, elevator speeches, and talking points for general officers and ambassadors, hundreds of performance reviews, nominations for awards and other competitive packages, and products sent to the White House and Congress. 
In all instances, each word in every second of the reader's time counted. While on active duty, she developed her writing methodology and taught thousands of Air Force personnel for 15 years to rave reviews. Her battle cries are powerful writing changes lives, and powerful writing is the lifeblood of successful organizations. Carla now shares her expertise teaching highly acclaimed workshops to government agencies, corporations, private businesses, NGOs, and students in high school, college, and graduate school. From powerful writing to banish bureaucratic blather to crafting powerful resumes, input for performance reviews, and essays for college applications. She covers it all. She also serves in locations to include Germany, Bulgaria as a defense and air attache, Korea, and Washington, D.C. So welcome to the show, Caller. I am so excited to have you here, and thank you for your service. You're very welcome. Thank you for this opportunity to chat with you and your audience. Thank you. So let's talk about the discussion of the day, empowering others. What do you think when you hear that? It means providing them tools to allow them to better carve out their own futures. As you mentioned in some of in your, your first uh, section there on leadership, part of a leader's responsibility is to provide the tools. That's actually how I started this particular journey. When I was a squadron commander in Hawaii, I had 480 super talented people. It was the 324th Intelligence Squadron. When I took command, it was the most losing unit in the entire state for quarterly and annual professional awards. And it was losing not because these wonderful folks didn't deserve to win, and yep, that's a double negative, but they were losing because their supervisors couldn't write winning nomination packages. So because your boss couldn't write and couldn't convey your amazing accomplishments, you didn't get the accolades, you didn't get the pay raise, you couldn't save money to send your children to college. And so there were all of these, these uh, ancillary ramifications that I had to fix. So I took three days, sequestered myself in a beach cabin, analyzed my own writing, and that's how I came up with the nucleus of what's now the book Right to Influence. I developed what I called my word sculpting tools. So I turned that into a about a 20-page handbook, and I taught all of my guys how to write, the officers and the enlisted corps. In short notice, we started sweeping the awards, which was amazing. Then the other units on the island asked if I could teach them as well, which, which really blew me away. And that's how I ended up teaching uh, my methodology for the next 15 years to thousands of Air Force troops. Wherever my assignments took me, word sculpting followed. I, you know, my initial concern was just empowering my own 480 troops. I had no idea how vacuous the need was. And that was 20 years ago before Facebook and Twitter and, and all of our social media that have kind of dulled our ability to write powerfully. <laughs> Isn't that true? So how do you think empowerment and words actually connect? You can be the best qualified for a job, or you could be the best company to fulfill a particular um, contract. But if you can't express yourself powerfully and convince the decision makers that you are in fact the best, you lose. There are so many brilliant research, you know, scientific and technical and, uh, and medical ideas that get stuck on the drawing board because those brilliant scientists and technicians weren't able to convey the importance and the implications of their ideas to the non-technical people who control the funds. 
So there is a direct correlation between powerful words and powerful messaging and ultimate success. Okay, so we all know that words matter. We all talk about that. But one of the things I always find interesting is when you hear a certain word, a certain vision comes to mind, a certain visual comes to mind, whatever. And when I was thinking about the word empowerment, generally speaking, it's directed at women. And when I was looking for a quote about empowerment, it was all about women. So why is the word empowerment really seen as a feminine word when I think a lot of men would like to be empowered and I think a lot of men are empowered? Part of that is because for decades upon decades, the men have been in the positions of authority, you know, the Mm -hmm. the typical glass ceiling that we've all grown up with. And that's why when you hear empowerment, it's associated with women and, and usually trying to equip them to more effectively break through that glass ceiling. I was an Air Force officer who happened to be a woman. So, you know, I, I approach empowerment as any human being trying to better himself or his organization or trying to better others. Everybody deserves the ability to, to be empowered. I totally agree. It's just very interesting that every single quote was about women. So, okay. So you say that you have 30 seconds to grab a reader's attention, then fight to retain it. What's an easy way to get started doing that? Because a lot of times people will write and write and write. You lost the person like in the first minute of even deciding to go forward. So how do you get something? How do you capture somebody's attention in 30 seconds? There are a couple of things there. First of all, you have to know the audience, know precisely with whom you're communicating and what their interests are and why they would be interested in listening to you. So you, you've got to know the audience first. That lets you target your message better. The second is in my technique, I call it don't bury the golden nugget. Contemporary business writing and government writing, you, you see very often people preface the main thought with all sorts of ancillary lead in information. And by the time you get to the main thought, the reader has departed the fix. So the second tip there on how to get readers' attention is put the important thought up first. You know, start off with the important fact, and then you get down to the background, the ancillary information. The third tip is now you're into the word sculpting, the part two of the book. Make sure that you've purged your communication of the redundancies, the useless words, the words that hog space. Precise, concise, focused writing in that first sentence and knowing what the audience is looking for, those are a couple of hints on how you uh, snag it and then retain the interest. Awesome. Okay, so some of us love to write and others not so much. Something that other people don't love to do is speaking because they generally shy away from it. But in this environment, when you can reach millions of people with a post or an article, How do you encourage people to start sharing their brilliance through writing? Because it's not always that easy to, you know, when you say to somebody, well, how do I get my name out there? And somebody said, well, just write a Facebook post. That's not going to do it. You have to really give them some valuable content. How do you encourage somebody to just sit down and start? Regardless of whether you're writing fact or fiction, a congressional notification, a budget justification, or a letter to Aunt Matilda. Every single person who tries to put words to paper or words to a screen is a storyteller. So my first recommendation is you know the story that's in you. Outline your story. 
start with the, the opening words and then point, 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 and then the conclusion. So that gives you a roadmap. It actually helps break any writer's block that you might have by developing those stepping stones. And then you go back and you start filling in the details for those particular points. And, and before you know it, you've got a good, solid, rough draft. Okay, so now we're getting away, you know, we're doing that, we're writing up an article, we're writing a post, we're doing something. Let's switch to the business end of it. What if we were doing a resume for a job? Or what if we were writing a college entrance essay? How do you get people to not only notice you, but read what you're writing, hopefully respond to you for that job or for a college examination? How do you get people to notice you? Okay, so let me talk to the college application essay first. Again, it all starts, the the cardinal rule in all of this is know your audience. So the audience for that particular product is the application review board. What do they want to know? They want to know who you are. Question that you must answer because this is what what they're dealing with is, why should I allow you to join my student body? Who are you? And so how you get their attention is you, you do a quick introspection. Go find a quiet corner and identify your likes, your dislikes, your hopes, your fears, your, your successes, your failures. Those little mosaics that make you you, that provides the fodder to tell the story. Then you get the essay prompt and you write about something extremely specific to you. Not solving world peace, not solving global hunger. Tell me about you. And then you come up with a catchy title the killer opening line, and then the outline, it points one, two, three, four, and then ensure that the conclusion ends with a wall of it. It ends with a bang, and it ties back up to the beginning, to the opening sentence. So you've just presented a package that's wrapped with a nice bow. As far as resumes, again, know the audience. What the employer wants to know is, how can you help me? And so the opening two lines of the resume should not say, hey, I've got these great skills, write it with empathy. So putting yourself in the employer's position, what you should be telling them is, here's how I can help you. And then target your presentation to that particular job application or the shortfalls that that employer is experiencing. And then for still sticking with the resume, the bullet, 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 Here's, here's a mistake that, that so very many people make. The bullets should all be standardized. They should all start with verbs. So if you'll permit, let me read to you a couple of opening bullets that I, that I took from one resume and listen to, to see it snag. So it goes, responsible for, solely responsible for, provide coordination, responsible for, coordinates, uh, provided support, utilizes best practices. What the bullet should read like is consistent, developed, implemented, initiated, created, composed, integrated, hard-hitting verbs that convey to the potential employer actually what you've done. Interesting. And so it's been proven that if you do it where it takes the spotlight off of you and puts it on them, it actually is the way to do it. Yes? Yes. There is a hole in your dike and here's how I can fill it. Right, right. You have a need and here's, here's what I bring to the table. You know, it's interesting, Carla, because there's been, uh, there was a study that I was reading about job interviews and they actually, they both had the same resume, the same school, the same accolades, they had everything. And if you cut off the top so you didn't see their name, it would be the same person. But it was 
more than just the resume. It was also about the interview itself because one person was what you were saying, I can do this and I can do that and I'm responsible this and blah, blah, blah. And the other person was talking about what they've done as a team and they've done we and we. So the I versus the we. And it's very eye-opening when you take yourself out of that spotlight and you see that people are really looking to see how are you going to solve my problem? It's not about you. Exactly. And this applies to so many things. For example, here's how not to sell a book. Buy my book because it won all sorts of awards. That's an instant turnoff. Buy my book because this is how it will help you. Or you will learn to A, B, C, D, E by purchasing this book. You have to completely flip the story and, and write from the audience's perspective. That's how you do effective targeting and effective messaging. Interesting. Okay. So this is one of my pet peeves about when I receive an email that might as well be a dissertation. It's about 12 pages long. What do you talk about with your clients or your colleagues about these ginormous emails that make no sense? When I receive, I don't even read it because to me, it's just, it's like a waste of my time. What do you say about brevity as opposed to let's throw everything in and throw everything up on the table? I have a baker's dozen, 13 tips on how to do email that's actually going to be... The, the first thing is write telegraphically. For those of you of the audience who may remember what a telegraph is, mm -hmm. uh, the idea is you're not writing paragraphs, you're writing very concise and, and brief thoughts. A second tip here is, again, with that golden nugget, put the main thought up first, and if there is any background information, that should be at the bottom. Approach this, if you had only two seconds to convey something to the reader, what do you want most to convey? The next tip is to leverage that subject line. If uh, what you're conveying involves an action, then open the subject line with capital letter action, colon, and then the subject. That gets my attention and says that, okay, I'm going to read this closely. Another tip is if you have two or three points to make, help the reader. Say, dear Jane, I have two questions for you, and then number them, one, blah, blah, two, blah, blah. That mm -hmm. also helps the reader understand what they're going to be, uh, what they're encountering, and it helps them help you. Again, this is not a place for major paragraphs. If there is a suspense date or, or a due date, put that way up in the top or perhaps even in the subject line. Triage the information. Always what's important first, what's important second. And if you end up losing the reader, what information? Is it not such a big deal if they don't read? You have to help them to help you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's craziness sometimes. Okay. So let's talk about right to influence. First of all, it could be taken two different ways because if you're just saying right to influence, it could be the W or the R. So I love that. I think that's always something that's intriguing. But tell us, why did you sit down to write this? Because everybody has that moment where they say, okay, I need to share this with the world. Is it something that you decided to do or were you encouraged to do it? It was internal. I simply had to do it. This whole writing methodology became a part of me. For so many years, after I first developed the techniques for the squadron there in Hawaii, people would stop me. I mean, years later, they'd stop me at the Defense Intelligence Agency or the Pentagon, and they would say, Colonel Bass, if it weren't for, I wouldn't have been able to. So every time I turned around, it was testimonials on how 
people got into officer training school, how they got a congressional fellowship, how they became in the top 10 Air Force enlisted of the, of the year. I mean, truly significant life-changing events because I had taught them how to write. This is where I say this is truly empowering stuff here. So when I retired, it took me five years to finally stop and begin writing the book. I got to a point where I asked myself, you either do this or you flush it, because it was, it was praying in my mind, like a baby that needed to be born. Uh, I still receive feedback from people. I received an email last year from an individual who said, Colonel Bass, you probably don't remember me. He said, I was a senior airman, which is a junior enlisted individual in the 324th. And I kept that handbook for 18 years. It enabled me to be accepted into officer training school. I recently retired after 20 years as an Air Force officer. And I'm now the vice president of a defense corporation because you taught me how to write. So mm. that's the type of testimonial that kept me going. And I simply, I simply had to write the book. And I'm so glad I did. Are you planning on a second part of, is it going to be a series or is there going to be something else that you're going to write to add on to this or anything like that? Or are you done? No, I just issued the second edition. The second edition was published this summer. It has many additional chapters and 70 more pages than the first edition did. And let's see what happened is after I published the first one in January, 2017, I spent the next two years conducting workshops on the college application essay on writing grants, uh, teaching at the National Intelligence University. So I took all of the material that I developed for those various workshops, transformed those into new chapters. So now there's one, a new chapter on grants, on writing elevator speeches, on the college application essay, on knowing your audience, the psychology of the catch. Uh, I developed a collection of, I call them the Baker's Dozen, 13 tips each for email, for writing reports, for resumes. I now have the, the Dirty Dozen, the 12 Most Common Errors in Professional Writing. So all of that information I cranked into the second edition. That's just come out. And actually already, I think I've got chapters lined up for the third edition. Thank you notes, post-interview thank you notes turned out mm. to be a huge topic. I've written several articles published in online magazines now on, on that subject as well how to get promoted. That kind of blends the Air Force leadership techniques with powerful writing. So yeah, there may be a third edition in the offing at some point. You never know. You just never know. Yeah. So how can our listeners connect with you and find out about all the, the great services that you do and get your book and everything else that ha you have going on right now? Thank you. The, the book is online at Amazon, Barnes and & Nobles and, and other online retailers. The second edition, it, I'm so proud of that. My website is www.writetoinfluence.net, N-E-T. And my email is carla at writetoinfluence.net. Okay, so what's the best advice that you would give women in leadership positions? Knowing that we all struggle with being either not being enough or not being ready or whatever that is, what would you say to them, you know, in order to make sure that we keep more women in leadership positions? Take some time and learn how to write powerfully. Because not only, not only will that help leverage opportunities for yourself as an individual, 
If you happen to be in charge of other folks or if you happen to own a company, it will open doors for them as well. I'm a huge believer in leadership. A powerful writing is one of what I consider the main fundamentals of a good leader. If you learn how to leverage time and space, the reader's time and the allocated space to your advantage by learning how, how to write very well, I'm like the, the possibilities, the opportunities are almost boundless. Similarly, the doors remain closed if you can't get out there and make that powerful case. Absolutely. Well, Carla, I want to thank you so much for sharing the mic with me. You have great information, and I look forward to creating lots of adventures with you together, including connecting you to my husband, also a retired Air Force colonel, because I am sure your stories would go on forever and ever, the two of you. Oh, definitely. And, and as far as the readers, I mean, everything from resumes to getting promoted, there's just a multitude of ways in which this powerful writing plays out. I thank you again for the opportunity to communicate with you and your audience. Well, thank you. And I want to leave everyone with this quote. When someone says you can't do something, do it twice and take pictures. I thank you all for listening to our discussion where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. Now make sure you stay connected with us and remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.